This is the Art of Dental Finance with Art Wiederman. Brought to you by the Academy of Dental CPAs. Whether it's taxes, investing, or planning wisely, Art is your guide to make your dental practice as profitable as possible. Here's your host, Dental CPA, Art Wiederman. And hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Dental Finance with Art Wiederman, CPA. Uh, I'm Art Wiederman. I'm a dental-specific CPA. My practice is located in Southern California. Uh, I'm a proud member of the National Academy of Dental CPAs, which is 30, 35, I guess we just grew, 24 uh, amazing dental CPA firms across the United States that represent over 9,000 dentists. That's that's well over uh, 5 or 6% of the dentists in the United States that we work with. And Boy, do I have a special treat today. As, as I've been telling you through this, uh, through this journey, um, you're going to meet a lot of my friends. And um, I started my dental career at the Pacific Institute of Management, uh, which is out of the San Francisco area. And when I joined, I was the, financial, the director of the financial services division of the Pacific Institute. And uh, the Pacific Institute is a dental management organization, and they had many dental management consultants all over the country. And one of them, her name was Deborah Engelhart at the time. That was her name. And Deborah uh, was working out of Washington State, I believe. And we became fast friends because, quite frankly, as you're going to find in the next hour, Deborah Engelhart, who is now Deborah Engelhart Nash, is one of the truly most wonderful, engaging, and and quite frankly, funniest human beings I've ever met, and is an iconic dental management consultant who travels all over the country. And I am so honored and thrilled to have her spending the hour with me today. So we'll get to Deborah in a moment. She's going to talk about uh, I mean, she's going to talk about basically whatever she wants to talk about because I don't have to give her a script. I mean, we're going to talk about what makes dentists successful, what the challenges are, what she's seeing in offices, and what she's doing to help dentists uh, continue to uh, thrive uh, in a very, very challenging environment. So before we do that, I'll give you some information. If you want to get a hold of me uh, at my office, my telephone number is 714-259-0505. Um, if you want to take a look at our uh, firm website, it's www.hmwccpa. Uh, go to the um, go to the website uh, and go to the resources link, and then click on podcasts. And all of our podcasts, I believe this is going to be number forty, uh, are on there with all of our um, guests' information, as will Deborah's be when it is published. Uh, if you are um, looking to send me an email, call, uh, email me at artweederman at gmail.com. If you have any questions about anything, uh, recommendations for guests, complaints. Well, we don't take complaints. Sorry. Don't, don't send me any complaints. I'm not in the mood. It's, it's, uh, the second tax season. So I'm not in the mood. Sorry. Uh, but you can send me complaints. I guess you can. It's a free country. Uh, and if you are looking for a dental specific CPA anywhere in the United States, please, please promise me if you're not working with one, start working with one. Uh, go to our website at www.adcpa.org. I'm the Southern California member. We have a wonderful member firm in San Diego, and we have members all over the country. Uh, I'm going to give you a quick uh, tip that we uh, work with in our practice here before I, I go to Deborah. And it has to do with partnership formulas. I get the question a lot of times. I've got, I think, three or four of them going right now, where the question is, 
Uh, I'm going to form a partnership with my long-term associate. Um, how do I share profits? And just because you and your partner own 50% of the practice, that means when it sells, that 50%, you'll get 50% and your partner will get 50%. But that does not mean that that's how you share profits. There's really two ways to do it. Number one is what we call eat, eat what you kill, which means that if uh, Dr. A produces 60% and Dr. B produces 40%, we split profits 60-40. Don't see that too often. Uh, if you're going to do that, you probably want to give Dr. A or Dr. B a management fee if they're doing the management of the staff and the vendors and the marketing and all that kind of stuff. What we normally see is a two-tiered formula, and the formula goes like this. Let's say I have a million dollars of profit. So each doctor gets paid for their production. They get paid, thirty. let's say, 30% of their production. So let's say that that, that total of 30% of production represents $700,000. So we split that based on who does what. That's the eat what you kill part. The remaining 300000 is split based on ownership. Now, you might own 25%, you might own 50%, you might own 70%. And we split it that way. It's a two-tiered formula. It gives both doctors credit for the work that they do, as well as for the um, ownership of the practice. And we see that formula most commonly. And if you're looking at forming a dental partnership, it's one of the one of the things that I do in my practice that I really love to do. Again, give us a call 714-259-0505 or call a, an ADCPA member firm in your area. All right, enough of that. Let's get to my good friend, Deborah Engelhart Nash. So, I, like I said, I met Deborah in 1984. In fact, I will be uh, at the recording of the uh, of this podcast uh, is right before Labor Day. So, next Tuesday, which is the day after Labor Day, I will celebrate 35 years as a dental CPA. It's pretty frightening. I have much less hair, and it's gray. Uh, I'm looking at Deborah here on the screen, and Deborah's hair is not gray. It is blonde and beautiful, and I'm so jealous. Uh, she's waving at me. But anyway, let me tell you a little bit about the amazing Deborah Engelhart Nash. If you have not heard of her, you've probably been living on an island. Deborah is a national lecturer, speaker, and coach. She works out of uh, Huntersville, North Carolina, which is a suburb of Charlotte. Like I said, she's a consultant. She's an author, presenter, and an uh, amazing nationally recognized and internationally recognized speaker. She operates the Nash Institute for Dental Learning, which includes her dental business school, which is an immersive two-day training experience designed for everybody in the dental team. And what's really cool about this is that uh, she has a hands-on lab, which happens to be her husband's dental practice. Uh, her husband is Dr. Ross Nash, who is, uh, again, and I am not exaggerating, uh, he is also a, a, a nationally and inter internationally known cosmetic dentist, uh, lecturer, and teacher. And he has um, his teaching institute. In fact, uh, uh, Deborah is one of my Instagram friends, and I get the posts all the time of, of the wonderful courses. And every time I see a picture, there's dozens of dentists that are learning, and uh, it, it, it's just incredible. I, I've, I've told you guys uh, over the the course of this podcast, that that my number one one of my number one things is is continuing education, and Deborah and I are going to talk about that today. And and what Ross does is, is flat out amazing. And I also learned something about Deborah that Deborah in 2015 was the first non dentist and only the second woman to receive the Gordon Christensen Lecturer uh, Recognition Award, uh, and that's pretty darn uh, impressive. 
She has a quote on her website, which we're going to talk about today, and then I'll get to her. And here's what Deborah says. Deborah says, we spend 85% of our time interacting with patients and only 15% in actual clinical applications. More training on communication skills is needed in your practice to improve your team. Deborah Engelhart Nash, how the hell are you doing? I'm good. I'm really good. Thank you. It's interesting. I know you talked about me as being iconic, and I know that that is um, another word for old. (laughs) No, it's not, because that makes us both old. But I'm not iconic like you. I don't feel old, um, like inside and in my work. And then I look in the mirror and I go, dang, girl. Yeah, what happened? So, yeah, we've been around a long time. And sometimes people think um, that it's even like dentists. I mean, sometimes patients ask the question, should I go with the younger dentist? Should I go with the older dentist? Do I go with the experienced dentist? Do I go with the inexperienced dentist? And I always say that no matter how old you are, uh, stay relevant. Oh, be my relevant. God. Whether you're young or old, you have to be relevant. So as long as we're relevant, Arthur, then we're, um, we're still viable. Oh, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And I'll tell you what, every time when, when we were with Pride and I would get a call or I would see that, I mean, I just laugh when I'm around you. You're just so much <laughs> fun. You're, you're, you're amazing. And, and the, what you've made out of your career and, and the name that you've built is just so impressive. And um, I'm so proud of you. So oh, thank you. Well, I'm a force to be reckoned with. You can't kill me. You might as well. Uh, you know, they tried. That's right. Um, yeah. You know, um, but, you know, can't. I think a lot of times um, I think people say, gosh, we got to hire her now because she's, she's so old. She's going to be dead. So we got to hire her now. Well, well, you yeah, know, one of the things that we talked about in our, in our meeting before the, this podcast was, it was, I, I, we, we joked about this, but uh, you had a serious health issue in 2011. Uh-oh. Yeah. 2011, I woke up one morning and, um, you know, have you ever got up in the morning and like you get pins and needles in your arms or your legs, like you slept funny. Oh, yeah. on your, and so I woke up one morning and I um, didn't have, the use of my right leg. And I thought, Oh, I slept funny and it, but it didn't go away for a long time. So, um, we were on a catamaran trip and I was dizzy. And I said to my husband, I said, um, Russ, I think I had a stroke, mm-hmm. um, a little mini stroke. Cause I didn't like my face didn't go. Some people might question that my face didn't go weird, but my face didn't go weird. And, but it was just, the, I lost the use of my right leg kind of, I had to drag it. And I, Started to my, I was getting uh, weak in my right arm. So when I went to my doctor, he said, well, your symptoms are catastrophic, Deborah. What do you think it is? And I said, well, I think maybe I had a stroke. And he said, or it's a brain tumor or it's a hematoma. And it turned out to be a brain tumor. Wow. Um, um, benign. They say benign. It's grown back twice. They couldn't get it all. It was attached to a blood vessel. So they had to leave it a little bit in. But they, yeah, they told my husband that um, I might not be able to use my right leg ever. Um, oh. So they said I'd be in uh, rehab. Um, I like the Amy Winehouse song. They said I'd be in rehab. Yeah, but not that kind of rehab. <laughs> they said I'd be in rehab three to five weeks, and I was in eleven days, and I walked out. That's that's remarkable. Maybe maybe because of the fact that your brain is like three times the size of everybody else's brain. Maybe that's the deal. Maybe it could I, be. I remember them. Um, trying to coddle me a couple of times and you know, like um, they wanted to wheel me down to the rehab center. And I said, Hey, the arms still work. Let me, when I was in a wheelchair, but I, I, you know, I think the, and I think this is true of anybody in life. So they take me from ICU. Um, so they put me in a, in a medicated coma for four days and they take me out of that. And then they take me to, from ICU 
Um, and then a couple of days in the hospital and they, they transport me to the rehab center in the back of a van in a wheelchair. And my first thought was this, I'm sitting in the back of a van in a wheelchair thinking this cannot be my life. I, this cannot right. be my life. Yeah. So I got in on a Sunday and I said, when do we start rehab? And they said, well, we really don't do anything on the weekend. I said, I am not sitting in this, in this room by myself wallowing. You've got to give me something to do. You've got to give me some exercises. We've got to start now. So I, um, I just never, I just, I guess in life, in my work and in my life, I just never let it get to me. Well, and I went and, and, and I, you know, I was funny. I was, you know, my, um, I remember when they came to take the staples out cause I'm cut like from ear to ear. And when they, the woman came to take my staples out, I said, do they count the staples going in? And she said, well, ma'am. And I says, well, how do you know you're going to get them all? And the woman says, oh, I'll get them all. And I said, you know what? Leave a couple in because I might get a better cell phone restriction. <laughs> so leave a couple in there. So how did that work out for you? How did the well, cell phone reception go? You in and accidentally and my comb would get stuck on the, oh my on God. the staples. So I had to, had to have them taken back out. Oh. But um, there were so many times, I mean, that place was, was kind of grim. There were people there. I, you know, it was funny because here I am not being able to walk. I'm wondering what the heck's going to happen with my life. Wondering if my career was going to have to be subdued or over. And, but my, my lot was a lot better than most of the people in that rehab center. So I think, you know, um, sometimes people look um, next to themselves and think they have it. Someone has it better than them or someone has it worse than them. And I felt so lucky in comparison to what other people were dealing with, having to sleep in netted beds and having to, you know, have helmets on their head. And um, I was, well, I was the lucky one. I was the lucky one. And I was out in 11 days. Some of those people had been in there months. So, but I think it's, um, gosh, just like practices. It's part of, part of it. A lot of it's PMA, positive mental attitude. Well, and some, some people yeah. think doom and gloom. And I, um, I always knew that I came to live my life out loud. And I was going to continue to do that, whether it was going to be in a wheelchair or not. But I think a lot of people, um, if they see doom, doom and gloom, that's where they are led. You know what I mean? Yep. Well, we're, we're, we're blessed that you didn't end up in doom and gloom and that you are able to help uh, wow. thousands of dentists and stuff. And um, I would have done it from I would have done it in a wheelchair. I would have done it. I would have like been hitting my clients over the head with my cane. It, you know, <laughs> yeah, you would have. There's no doubt. And, and you would have hit them multiple times. I know you would have. Yeah. But in certain areas re- that would be appropriate. Real quick, because I got so much I want to talk to you about. Yeah, yeah. You're also involved yeah, good. in. Good. You're also involved in helping uh, prevent human trafficking in your charitable acts. Talk a little bit about that. Oh yeah, um, and actually, I'm going to talk about that in a in a program um, that I'm doing um, in October. But I an inter- um, so I am really a big fan of not fan, but I'm a proponent of against human trafficking. Some people don't realize. They're starting to realize it more and more that um, human trafficking is prevalent, so prevalent in the United States. They think that something happens in foreign countries, that happens in weird places. Um, but um, Atlanta is number eight in the world. Atlanta, Georgia is number eight in the world for human trafficking. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, Charlotte's number 10 in, the, in our nation in human trafficking. Um, the average age of a victim of human trafficking is 14 years old. It's typical. And people think, oh, well, they're... 
drug their drug kids or their bad kids and they're not they're no. they're misguided or they're confused or they're lost um they got t- they got sucked into a situation they don't know they can't get out of it and for years they are exploited and it's not always just sex trafficking it's slavery um you know I mean, charlotte there was a woman a very prominent woman who had two women sleeping in a cage in her basement Ugh. I mean, oh, horrible. So the more uh, the more we can create awareness and get people trained to recognize it, then the better we'll all be. And there's now an AGD PACE approved code for taking a one hour program on human trafficking in the dental office. So I do a program on um, human trafficking and dentistry, how you identify it, um, how you identify someone being trafficked, what you do about it if they're in your chair, um, how do you handle it. So. Um, it's, it has, it has, um, it has creeped its way, creepied its way into dentistry. It's not simply somebody else's problem. It's also a a dental industry problem. Well, God God bless you for, for doing that work. It it is, it is horrible, horrible, horrible. So, uh, when you talk to Deborah, uh, obviously talk about that and, and, and we need to try and do everything we can to, prevent this horrible thing that, that, that goes on in the country and in the world. So, Deborah, let, let's talk about your journey. Um, uh, uh, you, you and I met at the Pacific Institute of Management. Which a lot of people may or may not realize that when it, it, it actually transitioned to be called the Pride Institute, right. which is probably the more familiar yeah. name, because there was a Pacific Institute right. um, already. So, he had the name prior to Jim having the name. So, um he Lou Tice actually went to Jim and said, "Hey, you need to change the name," and he did, which actually makes more sense. His it, name was Pride, became the Pride well, Institute, and, and everybody knew the company as PI. We always called it PI, and you know, yeah. Jim. I mean, Jim said that he never wanted to use his name. I don't know, you know, but um, yeah. uh, Jim was very interesting. I mean, Jim is the one who gave you and I and all the consultants are pretty much our start in dentistry. And um, uh, my, you know, yeah. let him rest his soul. Um, I, I hung up on the guy three times. Uh, did you ever hang up on him? Um, you know, I was, I will tell you, I, I never hung up on him, but I will tell you that um, there's a line in the movie City Slickers. Yeah. When they're, um, they're talking about not the one thing, but they're uh, the three guys, three friends are walking. They're talking about their best day and their worst day. And Bruno Kirby, his character is talking about, his best day was um, learning that he was going to be responsible for his mom because his dad was a deadbeat, blah, blah. And he said it was also the worst day. And and so it made me think about this. I just happened to watch this movie the other day again. Great, funny movie. Yeah. It had some great points. And I think sometimes the, the worst day of your life is the best day of your life. And I remember that when I, when I gave my notice to Jim, and I didn't give it to Jim, I gave it to... Um, uh, Fitzgerald, um, right. uh, he was the CFO, CEO. Yep. Um, he lives here in Charlotte. I never see him. I R- see him at other meetings. Right. But when Jim came up to me and said, um, I'm devastated, and he kind of um, let me have it, if you will, yeah. Jim Pride kind of way. That, yep. Um, what was I thinking of? And I was going to get sued for non-compete and all of that. And, you know, I know it was a bit vitriolic. He was upset. Um. It was the worst day of my life. It turned out to be the best day of my life. Well, it, it, yeah, obviously. And, and um, 
Uh, but again, Jim, Jim did give us, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. Jim did give us our starts in dentistry, and we learned I a admire, lot. Yep, I admire him. I admire, you know, he was truly a visionary. Yeah. Um, he was around before a lot of the big major consulting companies that we know today were around. He was one of the first. Right. He also developed an amazing winery. Um, oh, his Pride wines Merlot's are so favorite. good. Pride Merlot is like my favorite bottle of wine ever. Um. I think he also, you know, the other thing about Jim Pride and everybody has a story about Jim Pride, bad, good, or indifferent. There's love stories. There's hate stories about Jim Pride. Jim Pride loved dentistry. He did. He loved dentistry. He, I think he loved being um, the associate dean at University of Pacific. Right. He loved helping um, students start their practices. And that's how, you know, the whole, the whole thing with Pride, we're going to really go back Um Jim really was the kind of the, the office design guy. Right. He was not the management guy. Nope. And so young dentists would design these beautiful offices and they would get back to Jim and say, okay, I have this beautiful office. I don't know what the heck I'm doing in it. I don't know what to do. And um, Jim had heard about Dr. Phil Whitener. Yep. And it was actually Phil Whitener who discovered me, who recruited me. Oh, I didn't know so, that. Okay. Yeah. So it was Phil who recruited me out of an audience. So Jim said, um, who's this Dr. Phil Whitener? Uh, and who, who is a, he's a, he was a USC guy. Right. Um, so Jim uh, Pride went and sought out the help of Phil Whitener. And it was really Phil Whitener's practice management strategies and protocols that became Pacific Institute and yeah. they partnered. Well, we could, for the we, longest time they were partners. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and Phil's who hired me and um, we could talk about the pride Institute for the whole hour, but there's a we lot could. of stuff I want to talk Great to you about. Memories. Yeah. Wonderful. Great. And, and I got to yeah, admiration that a lot of regard. They also, I will tell you one of the things that they did beautifully is they gave us as consultants, a lot of autonomy. Yeah. They yeah, did. they did. It was, it was a wonderful place to start. So, Deborah, obviously, you and I have been in dentistry a couple of days um, and one or two. How has dentistry changed from you, when you and I started in the 80s to, to where it is today? Wow. Um, well, certainly, I think I, we, we have to mention, if we're going to talk about changes in dentistry, technology. Yeah. Not only do we talk, I mean, social media, huge huge oh my god um i mean that's you know back in the day having a sign um there were certain states that you couldn't have a sign in front of your office i mean we're talking late 70s early 80s you couldn't post your name on the street people had to kind of guess where you were business cards were um pretty but pretty basic so i think technology including you know um in terms of marketing and in terms of branding your practice has made, has been a game changer for so many people. But then if you look at clinically technology on the clinical side, I mean, um, my husband Ross got involved in CAD chem technology in the early, early eighties. He was a pioneer. And yeah, he had to be because it, it, it wasn't that great back in the eighties. It wasn't. You had that all about powder, you know, you had like powder everywhere and, it was, you know, you had to come go in and adjust margins all the time. It wasn't a time saver. It wasn't a game changer. And, um, you know, there weren't, there weren't as many uh, expanded functions, dental assistants who had the authority, the wherewithal, um, or the courage to get involved in technology. So I think technology, you, 
if you're going to, I think if you're going to be in this industry today, you've got to have some technological savvy, or you have to know what you are strong with and what you need to outsource. So I think so many times doctors try to be, to try to do it all. And because social media is so prevalent in marketing and in branding practices, that is, I think, something that has to be um, really has to be out, should be outsourced. And we've had and we've had uh, a couple of marketing experts on on this show. I, let me also say, think changes. Um, my understanding of the um, employment pool. Um, one of the big challenges that I think dentistry has today is um, personnel auxiliary. That's hard. It, it, um, there's a shortage. Well, that was that was my next question. Is what what are the biggest challenges that you're seeing with dentists? I mean, it's the same thing in dentistry. It's the same thing in my business. Is our number one problem is finding good people. Yeah. And and it's that way. That's got to be. That's got to be. The, you think that's the number one challenge in dentistry? I think. I think. Um, well, it's it's kind of twofold. I think um, good people um, that embrace. The culture of the practice, which means I think the other challenge is, um, um, you know, there's, and I, and I don't, let me back up. I think there are all kinds of practices for all kinds of people. So there are, and you see that um, in your business, there is high volume, low fee practices. And that, 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 that that's okay. Yeah. There's also... Um, high fee, low volume practices. And that's okay too. It's sort of like um, when I talk to my audiences and I talk about quality and I'll say, well, McDonald's has a quality and audiences go, no, they don't have a quality. I say, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. They do. What do they have to offer? They have expedience. They have location. They have consistency. They have price. To them, that's how they define quality. Right. Yeah. Del Frisco's, the Palm Restaurant, Ruth Chris, whatever fine steakhouse or fine restaurant, they define quality differently. Doesn't mean they don't have quality. It's a different kind of quality. And you're paying for it. And they're paying for it. So I think, obviously, I think the other challenge, and I think it's more prevalent now, is distinguishing what your qualities are for your practice. And you, and you know, I'll tell you, there was another consultant years ago who actually predicted this and he said there will come the day that you will either be one or the other and the middle market dental practice is going to change into transition into something else he said you are either going to be a churn and burn mm-hmm. um, high volume sure or you're going to be a boutique you're going to be a boutique kind of branded practice so i think sometimes one of the challenges is for the doctor to identify what he or she wants to be Yep, that's absolutely it helps, right. It helps the dental team. It also, and again, there's no right or wrong. It's what is the doctor's comfort? What's the doctor's passion? What's And, you know, you can have a, a dentist who says, you know what, I want to be all things to all people. And I know I'm going to have, I have a client who has 6,000 records active. Wow. That's a lot. He has four associates, 12 operatories, and he takes, um, he takes seven PPO plans. I mean, yeah, that's crazy for some doctors, but you know, for him, he says, I want to be there. I want to be there for people. That's, and the, that, that's the great thing about being, being uh, an entrepreneur and self-employed is you can do pretty much whatever you want. And, and I've always, well, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. a solopreneur. Cause I, and I know, I know we're going to probably get into 
talking about DSOs. DSOs are still... Um, well, let's do it now since you brought it up. Yeah. Well, private practice is still 84% of the market. Yep. Yep. So people are all, you know, and DSOs aren't necessarily a bad thing for the doctor who doesn't want to deal with management or personnel or business. Um, a DSO might be a right fit. So I never say, oh, DSOs, they're horrible people. They're not horrible people. Not at all. Not at all. They have a different model. I, um, and, but for some doctors, hey, the DSO model worked for um, Dr. Goldstein and Dr. Garber and Dr. Cranham, who are very well-known yes. uh, restorative dentists. And they're, they're part of a humongo DSO. And, and the thing is, Deborah, is that there are people that go to DSOs and high volume clinics. And and those offices are gorgeous. They've got CAD cam, they've got lasers, they've got everything. You can't tell the difference. And that's, you know, I mean, and, and people go to Walmart and Target, right? right. And then, and, uh, yeah, people, hey, uh, McDonald's is, I think, pretty well. I don't think that, I don't think that Del Frisco's or Ruth Chris is going to take over the market for the McDonald's market. No, no, no. But, but then you have Dr. Ross Nash who is Nordstrom, Ruth, Chris, Mercedes. And if you want that and you want to get that, it's there. And people will always, there are people, and that's the challenge. So, Deborah, let, let's, I, I mean. And I have to say, because I'm going to do a shout out about, about dental CPA. So, Alan Schiff, part of your organization, and I will tell anybody who's listening, for years we did not work with a dental CPA. And my dear friend, Andreas Romero, who's a financial planner in Atlanta, Came to me, he says, Deborah, I'm going to urge you to work with a dental CPA. You and Ross need to be working with a dental CPA. I've known Alan for years. We finally switched to Alan, and like in two months, changed the way we operate and do our business. Um, so, what Alan was looking at our, my husband's practice, and he was looking at our numbers, and he said, You've left off a line item. And we said, Well, Alan, what's that? He said, You left off your accounts receivable. We said, Well, we don't have any accounts receivable. <laughs> we, we have no receivables. We don't accept any PPO. We don't accept, um, we're not in any network. And we, um, all of our patients pay at the time of service or prior to service, which is one of my favorite management tips I can give yep. before we end our hour. Um, so don't tell me you can't do, don't tell me it can't be done because we, so, you know, get out of the way of people doing it, you know, so it can be done. What you, what you want to do can be done. No, it absolutely can. You just have to, it takes effort. And that's the thing that, that it's like, I, I mean, I had, uh, I, I gave a lecture a while back and a dentist got up and said, uh, we can't, we, we can't run our practice without taking PPOs in this area or we'll die. And I said, I, I will respectfully disagree with you. I mean, Deborah, t- talk about PPOs. I mean, you, you consult, you don't go in and say, oh yeah, let's just get a whole bunch of PPOs, right? No, and, and uh, here's what I will say to uh, to your attendee, but I will say, and I say to my clients, um, do before you make any decisions about PPOs, first of all, do your demographic psychographic survey of your community. What are your major industries in uh, in around yep. your surrounding area? Are you going to re- be reliant on them? I have a client, um, this is kind of a sad, um, so I had a client in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, one of his major clients is uh, are the employee our major patient base are the employees of AT and T, which is right around the corner. So they're part of a PPO. So you you, you need to you got to take that PPO. Right. I mean, if you know that a third of your patient base is going to come from there, right? 
you can't not take it, but figure out, you don't have to take all of them. And you really need to take a look at the fee structure. What is there? What is the leverage opportunities? Because sometimes you can negotiate. If you are a minority dentist, um, you know, if you're, if you're a minority uh, in, a, in a small area and a minority of the dentists are taking that PPO, that PPO needs dentists. Right. It's a math problem. And say, well, listen, you need me. So let's negotiate my fee schedule right. in your PPO. So, you, so some dentists don't know that they can do that, that they, they can negotiate fees. But I also have to, also, I tell all my clients this, um, and this, is, this goes back to my Murfreesboro client. So when I looked at his gross versus his net, and once again, was not working with the dental CPA. Like I tried to tell the, his CPA my bonus plan, and he was not, he was not getting it. He could not figure it out. I'm thinking, really? You're a dental CPA? And anyway, um, and he didn't figure this out. So they were paying their associate on gross production, not net. Uh-huh. He was writing off a he was writing off 40% ah. of his fees to PPOs and insurance. So when I looked at his numbers and I ran and I ran the numbers and I'm not a CPA. I mean, I I used to be that girl in the old days until I realized how important statistics were that when you said math, I wanted to stick a pencil in my eye. In fact, <laughs> when I was in third grade, um, math always came before lunch. So I would always make a stomach ache. And I had my mother, uh, the, the, the principal called my mom and said that they thought I had to go to the doctor because they thought I had a tapeworm because I always had a stomach ache at lunch. And it wasn't. I had to go through this whole tapeworm exam just because I hated math. So I learned to love math. So I would never have to do that again. Um, so uh I said to him, I said, you're paying your associate on your gross production. You're writing off 40% of your gross, of your gross fees. I said, you wrote off, he wrote off last year, he wrote off $275,000 in hygiene fees. He wrote off $325,000 in restorative fees. That's painful to listen to. That's a practice. That's a whole practice. Yeah. And then he's paying his associate on gross. I said, wait, you're paying her on money you don't have. Yep. Yep. So that, so, yeah. 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 It, she hated me. Um, <laughs> but the, yeah, but at least you pointed out. How did the CPA figure that out? You would have figured that out. Uh, I would have figured that out in about 30 seconds. Alan would have so, figured it out. Any of our ADCPA members would have figured it do out. Do the math. So I just say, do the math and ask yourself, am I need to know. And I, that happened to me in, um, in Virginia. That happened to me in a situation where I said, know what you're writing off. So do it. You know, you don't have to be, you don't have to take all the PPOs, figure out which ones will work for you. What are your biggest write-offs? What are your biggest headaches? Sometimes I'll go into an office and I'll say to the insurance coordinator. And by the way, I'm a huge fan of outsourcing insurance. I'm a big fan of companies that will do it for you offsite. Yeah. Um, I love them, but I will say, who are your biggest headaches? Who's it hardest to get paid from? Who's, who takes up most of your time? Let's look at their fee schedule. So typically, the ones they tell me have the lowest paying fee schedules. I say, why are we taking these? And they have the lowest number of patients. That, that's right. And, and, and you, there are companies out there that will 
teach you. We've had we had Clint Johnson from Profitable PPOs in Scottsdale. There's Ben Tune. There's people that do this work who can teach you if you're going to take PPOs how to increase your reimbursements. It's a game. The insurance company owns the game. They own the game with the employers. They own the game with the dentists. It's horrible, but it is what it is. And, and that's why a Deborah Engelhart, I'm going to call you a Deborah Engelhart Nash, uh, it can, yeah. can, can help you to get a, a, away from that. Before we go further, I want you to give out some, uh, talk a little bit about what you do, your teaching institute, a little bit of information. And if someone wants to talk to you or maybe hire you, um, it, by the way, she's an entertainer as well as being a world-class dental consultant. So you get that along with it. Um, Deborah, how, um, I, I'm joking. She's as good as it gets, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, you're so sweet. She really is. I, I will tell you, one of the things that, you know, when, um, and I appreciate that. And I will give you that information in a minute. I will tell you that um, I'm kind, but I'm also fair and honest. It's like when I sit down and I mean, I, I really feel, I'll, I'll get it back up with the story. So see, this is my brain tumor kind of kicking in. I understand. Years ago, a, a woman contacted me about being a consultant. And I said, well, tell me why you want to be a consultant. She worked in the dental office. She was an office manager. I said, why do you want to be a consultant? She said, because I don't want to have to worry about one office all the time. I can just go in and get out. And, you know, I can just put a lot of offices and I don't have to worry about them. I went, really? You know this, Arthur. If you're you're getting ready to take on a client, you worry that a client is giving you his or her um, stomach muscles and heart lining or stomach lining and heart muscles. Yep. And, and they're making an investment in you. You absolutely better be worried about that client and that client's success. You'd better um, have a, re- they better have a return on your investment for being there. You can't just come in and bring them donuts and say, I'm here. Hi, wasn't this a fun day? You, they better see some results of you being there. So as, as kind and as fair as I am, I also know that we have to bring results. Now, a lot of that is the doctor has to do some work. The doctor has to make a commitment to, to want to make it happen. So you can only do so much handholding. But um, I have gotten a lot more. I do a lot of handholding, but I do a less um, coddling than I used to. Like, well, this is serious business. Yeah. You're paying me a couple thousand dollars a day. This is serious business. I take that very seriously. So I always like to make sure we're the right fit. So um, I always invite uh, a conversation before we go in. And I and I like in my consulting, much like a doctor would um, do a new patient examination consultation treatment plan on a, on a patient. So I think we have to get to know each other. And I need to know what the expectations are and objectives are, just like a dentist needs to understand expectations and objectives of his or her patient. And then we have to gather diagnostic information, much like a dentist has to gather diagnostic information. Then we talk about um, treatment recommendations and create a treatment plan together. And that's how I work. And then we, then we set about how we're going to make that happen. So that's how I work as a consultant. Right. Um, give, give, out your, give out your information, Deborah. How, how, how can people get a hold of you? Um, they can they can um, call me on my cell phone, which is 704-904-3459. four nine zero four three four five nine, 
They could also email me. And it's, it's long. It's, gosh, what was I thinking when I married and hyphenated my name? Well, he's only got four letters. You're the one with the problem know, with your damn I name. Know, I know. And it's weird, too, because people always want to put the L before. The, it's Deborah D-E-B-R-A. Um, it's Engelhart. It's no, there's no uh, spaces. It's E-N-G-E-L-H-A-R-D-T. E-N-G-E-L-H-A-R-D-T. Nash, N-A-S-H, no hyphen. And that'll be on that'll be in our show notes when you when you go to our website. So and, and that's a Gmail. And I have a website and I don't have a meter on my phone. I've I've only had one person abuse phone time with me. Um I truly believe that you get what you give. Um and I believe um I've never been I've never been taken advantage of more than once, except right. on dates. So that's, that has nothing to do with dentistry and my work. Can you imagine if you and I, when we were both single, if we'd have gone out on a date, how would that have one worked? Of, you know what? One of us would have been eaten alive. <laughs> yeah, it probably would have been me. You know? I, th- yeah. I think it would have been you know? me. That that that. But but we had so much fun when we were at Pri- yeah. Pacific and Pride oh, and, like, yeah. uh, and with all the consultants and everything. It was wonderful. Um, you know, was, yeah, yeah because I think you know what? Because I think. Um, I think good consultants and good CPAs like you and, and Alan and people in your organization, we do everything full throttle. Wouldn't we you do. Agree? Oh, yeah. We do everything full throttle because the, the, the way we want to live our lives, we want to live our lives to the fullest. We want our clients to live their lives to the fullest. Um, so you gotta be, you gotta be, you gotta live life open wide. Um, no pun intended <laughs> um, to be effective. Um, yeah. uh, so I think you also have to be, um, tender and, you know, we had fun and we had tender moments and we had laugh, laughable moments and we all cared about each other when we all worked together. Um, and when you care about each other, you succeed together. And I think all of us at pride Institute, we all succeeded. Yeah. Look how many of us have gone on sure. to do great, greater things, um, as, as, as a result of wanting to live our life to the fullest, wanting to give our clients the opportunity to live their lives to the fullest. So, um, yeah. Well, yeah. That, that's our that that's our legacy, absolutely. I want to ask you this. You, you, I know that your consulting, Deborah, is based on value-driven goals to create a powerful practice. What does that mean? Yeah, that just sounds kind of esoteric. You wrote it. I didn't. Yeah. Um, but I think, number one, um, I think it is very critical – that if I'm going to be successful in my business, which means I'm going to be successful in my life. And, you know, bleh, back up. <laughs> you know, there used to be a little saying that we would say to employees, leave your problems at the door, leave your personal life at the door. And I just think that's malarkey. I was going to use another term, but you told me that I couldn't swear on the show. So um, you, we don't leave our personal lives at the door. We don't leave who we are at the door. We bring who we are through the door. So we are become more effective. So I think that the doctor um, has to bring his or her values um, into the office. I mean, uh, what's, what's the doctor's, I mean, I was, I do a, what I call a professional inventory and I'm happy to send that on to you to pass on to clients or happy to send that on to people who are interested. And I think it's important for the doctor to understand what his or her top values are and they live those in their practice. So I, I'll use Ross as an example. One of his very top values is loyalty. I mean, my husband will walk away from money to be loyal to a friend, to be loyal to a vendor, to be loyal to a lab. He will step away 
um, if he feels like it's going to compromise um, his loyalty to a person or to a patient. He just won't do it. Um, I would say that um, integrity is one of his top values. So he's going to he's going to treat his patients with integrity. So that leads to his kind of his motto, if you will. Um, and he says this to our team every day, to his team every day. If you do the right thing, the right thing will happen. So yeah. do the right thing. Yeah. Um, so that's if I think if the if the doctor understands what his or her values are, then we design the practice around you know how do you how do you how do you want to live your life? Your life is a major part part of your practice. Or, I mean, excuse me, your practice is a major part of your life. So why would you want to separate the two? Right. Integrate your values into your practice, and that's that creates your brand. Yeah. And we develop systems and protocols around how what those values are. That that's right. And and you know, the, the other thing is I have a I have doctors who are listening to this program right now who are saying, you know, my practice is stagnant. It's not doing well. I'm not happy. So what are one or two or three tips you might give a dentist that, that man, maybe this goes into the mistakes they make? It, it, what you go into an office and you just say you can look at an office like I can look at a financial statement in 30 seconds you can say this place is a disaster we got to change this and this and this but what are two or the three of the things that you that you might just go in and say these are major problems in a practice that you see and these are the things that doctors should focus on ooh ooh two or three? Oh, one i don't care okay i, I th- you know actually i'll say i think the biggest there's one and there's a lot of things that's stem from that one thing. Now, now I'm back to city slickers and the one thing now I'm back to curly, right? The one thing. And, um, I think it's fear. Um, it's fear of, um, being different. It's fear of having expectations of my team. I, um, I, I like to give the reins back to the doctor and say, listen, this is your practice. Um, and, 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 and I have this mantra, even in my husband's practice, I love the team. An employee is an employee is an employee. I see a lot of doctors give their power away to an employee who now is setting the tone, directing the, um, the protocols, directing the, the practice. And I think, gee, doctor, you gave your practice away to this uh, employee who is a good employee, um, and, and sometimes you, you they give their they give their power away by default because they don't they're not decisive they don't have expectations they don't have objectives they don't have a culture or or a value system in the practice someone's going to be take the lead there will always be in a, a group is two or more people right. you and I Arthur we're going to go have lunch. And I said, and first of all, if you did this, we would probably, it'd be our, it'd be our first and last date. If I said, all right, where do you want to go to lunch? And you said, well, I don't know. Where do you want to go to lunch? Well, Art, you, you, you know the area. What, what's, what, what do you want to have for lunch? Well, I don't know. What do you want to have for lunch? If we had that, if we had that dialogue for like 10 minutes. You're done. I'm pushing you off the cliff. I'm sorry. We're not dating again. This, you were done. I need, I need a, team members just like children or like people need someone to be in control. And I'm thinking to doctor, it needs to be you. Yeah. I had a client in Kansas city and he, he's a great guy. I love him. 
Um, he is, his wife is a hygienist. She's now coming and taking another role in the practice. I don't want to spend too much information because he or she might be listening or someone might identify. Um, he ended up buying his dad's practice. Um, he inherited a lot of team members from his dad, his dad's practice, and they kind of think they're in control. That yeah. This is the puppy. This is the this is the kid that they grew up with, and they kind of think they're in control. And when he makes decisions, he runs it by them first to make sure they're okay with it. Oh, Sometimes my. you have to make decisions that are not okay with the other that are right for you, that are right for the practice that are right for your family, that may not be right. You, you know, Deborah, at one time I was lecturing, and I remember this, this was like 30 years ago, I was lecturing in San Antonio, and I was sitting with a, a young dentist who just bought a practice, and he said to me, he said, Art, I, I, I'm afraid to make these changes you're talking about because my staff is going to be upset. And, 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 and I just slapped him upside his head, and I said, Dr., who went out and how much did you buy this practice for? He says, 600000 I said, did your employees go out and get that loan? Are they going to make those loan payments? Yeah. Are they going to pay the employees? Are they going to pay the rent? Are they going to pay the lab bill? Well, well, well no. And and I said, then then you set the tone. You set the vision. And you can ask for their help, right? And now, now isn't it important, Deborah, to have the team involved in decisions and get their input? Certain decisions. However, right. I was just going to say that. There are executive decisions. I mean, it's, it's sort of like um, we, we can talk something as, as that may sound as banal as, as uniforms. You don't let the team decide what to wear. Could you imagine like Southwest Airlines or American Airlines say, we're going to have a team meeting. And we're going to decide what your uniform is going to look like. Really? Yeah, yeah no. You know, the company says, here are your choices. You know, and you can modify and, you know, but here are the colors. Here's what the skirt looks like. Here's what the vest looks like. I mean, that's an executive decision. There are certain things that are executive decisions, holiday uh, holidays and um, compensations. And those are executive decisions. They're not up for conversations. Um, I think it's great. Uh, but I, I, the other thing I would say, there are no such things as consensus decisions. You will not get everyone to agree. Right. And let's go back to even the lunch analogy. You know, Speaking of lunch, people are going to just have to pack a lunch because you and I are going to be on here for half a day. So um, there's so much to say. So um, if you and I, if, if, if we were having this conversation about where we're going to go to lunch, and I said, hey, I really like Mexican. And you say, you know, I'm really in the mood for Chinese. I'm going to have to say, I'm going to have to struggle and say, no, no, I want Mexican. And you're going to say, no, I want Chinese. One of us is going to have to defer. We're going to be stop spending our lunch hour talking about Mexican versus Chinese food. Right. So someone is, is not going to be part of the consensus decision. There's no such thing. And for years, we all struggle to say, okay, we're going to all join hands and we're all going to sing the company song and, and we're going to create a consensus decision. And I think there's time wasted in many staff meetings trying to create a consensus when that time should have been, here's the decision. Now, we're going to, here's the decision. This is the executive decision we're making. Now we're going to spend our time talking about how we're going to integrate it into our practice. We're going to spend our time talking about how we're going to communicate that change, if there's a change, to our patients and to each other. We're going to practice the verbal skills. We're going to talk about the outcomes we expect. This is why we're making that change. So I, there are certain things that aren't, that are, aren't consensus, not 
that there's certain things you don't take to the team. No, you're, certain, you're absolutely do. right. And, and, yeah. and we, we need to make this like a five hour podcast, but unfortunately we're getting close I to time. Series. I, 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 well, you will be back on this dear. I guarantee you, I'm doing this for years to come and you will be back on here. I, I promise you. We, Talk, just can't call, we can't call it. We have to be careful. We can't call it like Debbie does art or anything like that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Well, you know what? Um, my wife listens to this podcast, so we need to be really But careful. I would do her art. Oh, see, that even sounds really weird. I would do her. I mean, because I know she's an artist. Yes, so. she is. But and I think, so you had said, I think fear holds doctors back. Fear, and, you know, it's there's a great picture. And if I'm sure you've seen it. I'm sure a lot of people have seen it. There's a picture of Michael Phelps, remember the Olympic sure. swimmer? Sure, In a race. And um, he has his, one of his, his competitors is racing next to him. And the picture that was captured is Michael Phelps is looking straight ahead to his, to his target, straight ahead to his goal. And the swimmer next to him is looking at whom? What? Michael He's Phelps. Michael Phelps. Yeah. And he loses. Yep. Yep. Loses. It's focus. Yeah. He's on focus. Now that doesn't mean you have focus. Doesn't mean you have to be rigid and focus. Doesn't mean you have to be, stern and focus doesn't mean you have to be um dominant focus can be fun focus can be fun look at elton john he focuses on those crazy glasses all the time right focus can be fun so um but but i have to say team team teams teams sports teams um restaurant teams dental teams teams need structure and so that would be the other thing fear sometimes leads to lack the, the lack of creating structure which means that the team will falter. If you don't, if you don't have a, a group of, um, you know, that, that, that servers, I love great dinner service. I love, love fine dining with impeccable service. It's such a treat. You know, they huddle every time before they start their shift. Well, look at the Ritz Carlton. They're the, they're oh. the classic model of impeccable service. It, yes. And they, and if you ask, if you go into a Ritz-Carlton and ask them if they have their credo card, they always have it in their purse or in their pocket. So you always say, can I have your, can I have a copy of your credo card? They will pull it out and give it to you. And they'll go get another one. It's ladies and gentlemen, serving ladies and gentlemen. It's like Ross's do the right thing and the right thing will always happen. That's, you know, that's our creed. Right. Um, but th- there's, their beautiful restaurants are well-structured. Beautiful teams are well structured. Um, you have a star quarterback who hasn't been coached well. He, he's not going to play well. You have a you have a great dental hygienist who doesn't have the structure and, and knowing what what is uh, how to do the right thing. She will not be of, as effective as she could be. She will also probably end up getting frustrated and looking for something else. And that goes back to one of the things we talked about in the beginning: auxiliary how do I keep good people? I give them uh, enough structure to make them have the, to make them comfortable in the freedom to work autonomously. Okay. So we're, we're coming to the end of our time and I want to hit, cause we're not going to hit, I, I mean, we're, I know we're, we're not going to hit everything I wanted to hit, which I knew would happen. Uh, yeah. th- that's just a given, but I want to hit this one last topic. So you're yeah. talking about 
the fact that a doctor has to create the vision, create the structure, and 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 we can't argue about Mexican versus Chinese. We have to say it's going to be Mexican. Now let's decide which Mexican restaurant is going to be. So Deborah, you've gone into offices, you've consulted with hundreds, maybe thousands of dentists. Let, let's top this thing off by saying if a doctor here is listening and he or she has created this culture where Susie, the office manager, is running the place and the doctor works for Susie, how do we change that? If you go into an office, the doctor says, I'm hiring you, you're the best, here's the check. How do we start? Where do you start to change? Can we change that doctor to being a leader? That's the biggest thing in my mind in dentistry. Well, um, here's one of the things that when, when I have a, a team member who's really, who we all know she or he is the leader of the pack. You always know that as you're leaving your, your parking lot and you see the team is congregated out by the cars and you always see the one who's in charge is the one who's leading that conversation. Um, so I pull that person. Uh, the, I, I always have either, whether it be me, if I'm in the, if I'm their consultant or I am, I always have a pre-conversation with a pre-conference with the doctor and say, here's how we're going to work together. I'm on your team. We can't be adversaries. So one of the things that has to, we have to be sure of is that what, when I leave, the team is going to say, are we really going to do this? Is she really going to, is that really going to happen? Or, oh, well, the consultant's gone now. We can go back to who we were. I need to have you, I need to have you absolutely um, stand by what we've agreed that we're going to do. Right. Or it's going to go back to be the way it always was. So if we, if we, I, so I, um, I interview the team. I know who the strong team leader is going to be. And I'm going to say, um, Millie, I know how critical you are. And I know how much he depends on you or how much she depends on you. That's why we need your help. Right. We're going to bring you in on this process. So I bring that strong person, whether it be a dental assistant, hygienist, whoever I've, we can identify is the one that either the doctor always go to, goes to or the doctor always defers to or the one who always makes the decision. That's the person that I need to train. That's right. I, I, do you have any books that you like that might be good on this topic? Oh, well, it's not necessarily good on this topic, but one of but my just your favorite books. books. My favorite, one of my favorite books. My favorite books are Simon Sinek, Start With Why. Okay. Starting With Why. I give that to all of my clients. Starting With Why because... Your patients buy why you do it, not what you do. They don't buy your muscular motions per minute. They buy why you're giving them the crown. They don't buy the perio charting. They 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 talk. They buy how you're going to get them healthy. The why you're doing what you're doing. So start with starting with why is a huge one. I like a, a restaurant. We talked about restaurants. I like a restaurant book called Setting the Table by Danny Meyer, famous New York restaurateur. Um, if you're ever at the greater New York show, come see me, but go to one of his restaurants and you will have an amazing dining experience, but you can get the book setting the table. I've had so many of my clients say, Oh my gosh, I read the book. I had my team read the book about customer service. Um, Disney university has a book called be our guest also on yeah. customer service. Boy, they're really good. Um, those, I mean, those are, I would say if, if yeah. those would be my top three, I'll tell you, I did a program. I'm a member of the Academy of Dental Management Consultants and we do a regional meeting. And last year at my regional meeting um, in the Southeast, I had everybody bring their favorite book. There were no two books alike out of 27 consultants. <laughs> there were I'll no bet. duplicate books. I'll bet there, there's one. so many good things out there. Oh, I- so many. I mean, is that the best you can do by the shine guy? Um, 
Bill Tower. Bill Howard. He's oh, I love Jim. Book. I love Jim. Jim. Jim's one of my Jim favorite people great, in dentistry. Great book. Is that the best you can do? Yeah, that's that's wonderful. Listen, you you are. We've come to the end of our time. And and any what? last what? what? Any 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 last tips for my doctors for success? Uh, other than hiring you, which we'll talk about here in a second. Um, any 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 last tips? Um, well, we're this. I don't know when this podcast is airing. Couple weeks. Okay, so we're in the third quarter. Yeah, we're moving to the fourth quarter of the year. You should already be setting your goals for twenty twenty. Um, I think rather than you know when you talk about financial goals, you obviously um, set those up. But I think one of the biggest you know the biggest questions to ask yourself two for 2020 is um, if I, if I'm expecting different results next year, what am I going to do differently? So one of the tips I would, I would make is get one of those giant 3M post-it note staff meeting tabs. They're like what three feet long and two feet wide and they're sticky on the top. Um, Put those up on a wall and your team meeting draw a line down the middle and, and on the right hand side of the, um, paper say, let's list, make a list of all the things that are going right in our practice. And this is when you get the team to start doing group think. Make a list of all the things that are going right in the practice and make a list and celebrate those things. Those are great. Okay. Now on the other side of the line, let's write all the things that we could change, that we could modify, that we could improve. And let's pick the top six that's going to make a difference in the life of our practice. If, you know, the good old trite thing. If you keep on doing the same thing, you're going to keep on getting what you've always got. What are we going to do to, to be better? Because we can't stay the same. Staying the same is, is stagnant and stagnant water smells bad. It's yucky. It breeds mosquitoes, right. kills your animals. So you don't want to be stagnant. You don't want to be stagnant water. You want to be, a, you want to be a, um, a pond. You want to be a stream. You want to be a rushing river that you're always moving, you're always moving, you're always changing, you're always growing. Change the way you say things to patients. Change the way you talk to patients. Some people say, oh, I got you know, we talk about fear. I'm afraid to tell the patients everything I could do for them because I'm going to overwhelm them and I'm going to. So then you tell them little, little stuff. You tell them about their bleeding scores. That doesn't excite me. I don't run to my neighbors and go, oh, I have my bleeding scores done today. It was so marvelous. There's no families <laughs> there. I'm not going to go run and talk about bleeding scores. I'm going to talk about potential. People talk about potential. That's why elections are so fun. We talk about, I mean, why, why do we vote? We vote. We're optimists. We vote, we're voting for the future. We're voting for hope. Right. So right. what's your optimistic vote for your, for your future? So the, Spend time talking about that, not talking about what what went wrong. Talk about how you're going to make it right, how you're going to fix it, how you're going to be different. Yep. Be different. Oh man, I, I couldn't have said it better. And folks, again, I, I don't know you as Deborah Engelhart Nash. You will always be Engelhart to me because that's how I always referred to you. That's how we always did that. And uh, you are just one of the. I mean, one of the reasons I love 35 years in dental profession is is being. Knowing people like you, you are golden. Uh, I, I wish you lived in Southern California. You're on the other coast, but um, uh, when I do see you, we will have a we will have an adult beverage, and it will be my treat. And I will pick what you're drinking. You don't have a choice in the matter. I will tell you. You know, you talk about coast. If you would have ever told me, Art, that I would have lived east of the Mississippi, married to a Southern bald dentist, 
Never. And you know, Ross always says, "Why do you have to tell them I'm bald?" And I'm thinking, you you, you don't think they're going to notice? I mean, is it? It's kind of obvious. Bald. <laughs> yeah, but, but it I, makes hair care. It's it's a great financial planning thing, Deborah, because then you don't have to go get your hair done. It saves you money. Think about it that way. Oh, see, that's that CPA coming out on you again. That's right. All right. Well, listen, we we got to we got to jump off here. Last time, give out your contact information, folks. Give Deborah Engelhart a call. Look look up her website. See where she's speaking. She speaks, I think, at most all of the major dental meetings. Uh, I know you said, Deborah, you're going to be at ADA in San Francisco. And yeah. um, just just go find her. Go listen to her. Go meet her if you haven't. Hey. She's What? Call her. What's your phone number? What's your phone number? Stop talking and give out your phone number. Cell phone number, 704-904-3459. Three, four, five, nine. Even text me and say, can we set up a time to talk? Yeah. Happy to do it. No obligation. Yeah. She, she's just one of these rare birds in dentistry. All right. Let, don't go away. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, again, I, I love doing this work because it's really helpful. Please take what Deborah has said to heart. Uh, if you are looking for a dental-specific CPA anywhere in the United States, www.adcpa.org. If you want to get a hold of me, 714-259-0505 or email me at artwiederman at gmail.com. Look up all of our podcasts. Deborah's information will be on there. It'll be published in mid-September of 2019. Uh, www.hmwccpa. Go to the resource tab. Go to the podcast tab. Deborah or Engelhart, thank you so much for spending your valuable time, and um, you're 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 just a, a gift to the dental profession, as is your husband. And I can't wait to see you. So uh, thank you for for spending the time. It's a pleasure. Okay. Make every day a great day. Yeah, we will do that. Uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, that's it for this edition of the Art of Dental Finance with Art Wiederman CPA, and we'll see you next time. Bye bye. 